I want to give you just a couple little reports of some things that just highlighted the Christmas season for me and um, hopefully for you as well as you hear about them. Um, just before Christmas, we got uh, a letter from Jeff and Iris Ketchum, uh, who work with our missionaries, Brad and Deb Mashburn, in Senegal. And uh, it was a very, very exciting letter. There was uh, a, a young man uh, just in his late teens from the village that they work in who came to them with questions to talk about things. And, um, and as they, they spoke, uh, he revealed to them very, very clearly that he had indeed given his life to Christ in the midst of all that's gone on there in his, his context, in his Muslim village. And uh, just a huge celebration there as he began to share what Christ was doing in him, what he meant to him. And it was just wonderful to hear. Um, it's the first, first one in the village and, and many, many, many years have been put in uh, to seeing this kind of fruit. And that uh, has, has begun there with a, a young man who has taken this huge step um, Christmas Eve, uh, we are here in the, the service, and um, God just did some amazing things. He really did. And it came down to the end, and there were a couple of very significant first-time decisions made to follow Christ. A couple lives were surrendered that evening, and we just praise God for, for what he's done during this season. It's been just tremendously encouraging. I hope that you all had a blessed Christmas. Um, I am very grateful personally that I was able to just fully enter into the true meaning of the season. Uh, the story of Christmas took on new meaning for me in many ways, and that is just remarkable considering how many times I've heard the story and, and how many times now I've even taught about the story uh, for it to have taken on that kind of new significance. Um, for me, it was just a, an amazing experience. Um, <clears throat> many thanks to all those of you who served in various ways during the season. Uh, God bless your efforts, and I am so thankful for you. And now more than ever, I think I realize the potential of the Christmas experience here at Chapel Hill, and I look forward to just getting better and better at what we do for the sake of those around us who have not had the opportunity to enter into this phenomenon of having God writing your life story and drawing you into his plan through the story of Christmas. Um, we just have such a great opportunity each Christmas to influence the lives of those who do not regularly get to hear about Jesus uh, through the services that we make available here. And so after it was all over uh, Christmas Day and the church was closed up, I headed home with my family to enjoy them for the rest of the day. And of course, part of the Christmas tradition when you have little ones is the annual assembly of the new toys. <clears throat> there were three different projects taking place in my house. Um, Jude and Liam were working on their Lego sets. Uh, Jude was busy with some Star Wars ship that was intended for 10-year-olds, and he's seven, and he just breezed through the construction of that, uh, much to my amazement. Um, give that boy a picture of the end product, and he can make anything come together. And then there's me with Asher's Hot Wheels racetrack. Intended for ages three and up. <clears throat> Big letters on the front of the box spelling out easy assembly. <laughs> now, if I had more sense than pride, I would have asked Liam and Jude to assemble the stupid track. <laughs> but I'm super dad, and I'm going to do it myself, dang it. 
And so Asher waited impatiently and fearfully on the couch while I took a shot at what seemed like a guarantee to confirm my hero status for my dear four-year-old son. Well, after much frustration and counting to 10 in my head more times than I can remember, I finally realized why me versus the racetrack was feeling more like the Vikings versus the Packers. Um, the racetrack was wiping the living room floor with my patience in one hand and my ego in the other. Well, here's the problem. <clears throat> the picture on the cover of the box was different than the end product of the instructions that were given. There were no instructions for creating what you saw on the box. <clears throat> there was no picture of what the instructions were leading you to build. There were four or five different ways that the track could be configured and my brain was fixated on the wrong configuration and following the instructions of, to the letter could not create what I saw on the box and what I thought I was building. And so out of this character producing experience, I have crafted the premise for this morning's sermon and here it is. I believe that we spend a lot of our lives, often our entire lives, working with the wrong end product in mind. Inside all of us, I believe, is a desire to become someone better than who we are now. We have an inner drive to improve, to grow, to advance, to step up. But what I think happens is that we have the wrong picture in mind of what that improved someone is supposed to look like. And so the project of our lives, becoming that person that we think we're supposed to become, is carried out with the wrong end product in mind. And much like me and the easy to assemble racetrack, we get frustrated because our lives are just not turning out the way that we think they should. The person that we're becoming is simply not satisfying that desire in us to become someone better. Something's not connecting. So here's what I think needs to happen and what we'll attempt to do this morning and then with this sermon series for the next four weeks. Uh, first of all, we need to be certain that we understand who we were created to be. And then we need to explore what it is that might get us back on the track of becoming that person that we were created to be. And along the way, we'll come to terms with the fact that our life is going to be that very process we will not arrive at the destination before life on this earth runs out. Life is a process. Life is a journey. Life is constant change. Our lives are to be characterized by a journey to become the person we were created to be. Life is to be defined by constant morphing, constant growth, but in what direction? And that's something we have to get right. And whether we accept the reality of change or not, it's gonna happen to us with or without our consent. Everyone is changing constantly. Tomorrow you will not be the same person you are today. You will either be better or worse. Everybody will be. And it's up to us to set that direction, to choose the right goal and to engage the process of change. And to me that brings great hope for the future, to know that I can change, to know that I can become a better person, to know that this is not it is so encouraging. Uh, John Ortberg, a Christian author that I really admire, refers to the possibility of transformation as the essence of hope. And I wholeheartedly agree with him. Uh, his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, was the inspiration for this series. 
we all want to be someone better than the person that we are right now. And for those who believe that they're happy with themselves just the way they are, I have nothing but pity. There is so much more in store for us. So today and throughout this series, I'm speaking to those who desire to become someone better. My goal is to restore the hope that transformation, that growth is not just possible, but it's normal. To flourish is the expected experience of life for us, to see new growth, new strength, new perspective, new hope is a desire that matches God's desire for our lives. And I believe that we can create opportunities daily for God to do this transforming work in us. My prayer is that every one of us will receive fresh hope, fresh faith in our lives, faith that God will continue in us what he started, the reclamation of the character that he has placed in every single one of us. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that I think you'll agree to. Um, This message was not intended to be a New Year's Day message. I put this series in place months ago, and as I wrote this message this week, I was fearful that it could be written off as just another message imploring us to try harder at being better Christians in 2012. And that is not the intent of this message at all, and you'll see that as we progress this morning. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Procrastinate. Put off your New Year's resolutions for a month. And if one of your resolutions was going to be to stop procrastinating, then just accept the defeat now and start over at the end of the month. (laughs) This could be a new record for breaking resolutions for you, and congratulations if it is. So let's get down to it. We have been given a set of instructions to follow for life. They're found in the Bible. But what is the picture that goes with these instructions? What does this person that we're becoming look like? And as I found Christmas Day, we have to be certain that what we are being told we need to do lines up with the right goal. Otherwise, it'll be just one big frustrating experience. Let's go back to the very start to answer this question of who we really are. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27, and the verses today are all gonna be on the screen. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, this is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, He created him, male and female, he created them. We were created in God's image. We are reflections of God's character, images that reflect who he is. That's the real me, that's the real you. That's our significant, original, God-given identity. Having been tainted with sin, our identity has become confused but only for us, only for us. Because of this reality then, our lives are to be a process of reclamation of that God-given identity. We're to get it back. Listen, God did not change our identity because of the effects of sin. He did not concede and decide that the best we can hope for then is to be the best Christians that we can be. He didn't give up the dream and lower the bar of the hopes that he has for us. We were 
are and will always be spirits created in the image of God. Above and beyond my identity as a husband and father, as a pastor and a friend, as whatever else my life may communicate, I am first and foremost a reflection of God. I am created in his image, and in spite of the damage that sin has done to the portrayal of that image, I am eternally the image of God. That is my identity. Everything else that might define me is temporal. Only my identity as a spirit created in the image of God is eternal. And therefore, I must work toward that goal above any other. And Christ agrees with this as the experience of my life. Let me back that up with the word because Paul especially gave great attention to getting this straight with the churches he led. Let's start in Romans. Here's a verse that we know well, but we need to follow through to the verse that follows it. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God works for our good, for the good of those who've been called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? To morph, to transform, to conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants to restore us to the likeness of Christ, which is the way that we were created in the first place. And why does he want to do that? So that there will be many brothers and sisters running around on this planet, brothers and sisters of Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to be the only one who reflects him here. He wants all his children to do that as well. God wants people to look at us, his children, brothers and sisters of Jesus, and know who we're related to. Uh, We do that with each other. Back in November, we had Steve Meeker here uh, visiting with us one Sunday, and before the service, I encountered a guy out here in the lobby, and the first thing I said to him was, you must be a Meeker. He resembled his brother Steve, and they both resembled their father in the same way God wants us to resemble his son, Jesus Christ. And not physically, obviously, but in character. And he wants to reveal himself to people through us in that way. People should be able to look at any one of our lives and have some sort of reaction that says, there is something really familiar about you. And that familiarity can be traced back to Jesus in whose image they themselves were created. So God wants to take us on a journey in our lives of reclaiming that identity so that he can use it for the sake of his kingdom and his purposes. Then Paul revisits this process of transformation with the church at Corinth. This is what he writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We reflect God because we were created in his image. Everyone does that in some way. Every human was created in God's image. But in those who have not surrendered to Christ, that image is hidden as if with a veil. And then when we turn to Christ, which is what Paul writes two verses before this one, the veil is taken away. So is that it then? Identity acquired, veil lifted, process over? No. Paul says we are being transformed, morphed into the likeness of Christ. 
And the more that takes place, the more brightly the glory, the light of God shines through us. And I hope that, that you, like me, desire to have that experience of an ever-increasing light that shines through your life. Improving as people in its truest sense is having God increase the intensity of light that shines from him through us as his image is being restored in us. That's flourishing. That's the abundance of life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. So whose picture is on the cover of the book of instructions? God, as revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our target. That's what we're building towards. And if we have any other image in mind, we will get frustrated and disappointed in life and in our progress. But we do have other images in mind, don't we? That's a sad thing. Jesus is not the standard for most of us. Society gives us definitions of what a good person looks like. We pursue those because we're afraid that we might get rejected like Jesus was if we become more like him. So we shoot for good person status within our cultural definition. That's honorable, isn't it? Or maybe we even shoot for the definitions of righteous person that the religious sector throws at us. And this is something that I really want to work to overcome in this series. You know, a good Christian celebrity does this thing that we really admire, and so we copy that. And there may be nothing wrong at all with what they're doing, but the question that I want to wrestle with in this series is whether or not copying their behavior is us changing us or God transforming us. I was listening the other day to the radio to Praise FM and they played this little sound bite that really interested me. Um, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was having their staff Christmas party. And much to their surprise and delight, uh, Billy Graham himself showed up. Uh, 93 years old, failing health, um, they wheeled him into the, the staff party and he took a few minutes to, to share some thoughts with the staff. Well, guess what he had to tell them? He shared the gospel. That's it. He preached the gospel to his staff again and, and tied it to, the, to God's plan of salvation that was carried out in this manger 2,000 years ago. He did it again. He never stops sharing the message of hope. <clears throat> but as great as Billy Graham is, he cannot be my standard. He cannot be my standard. His picture is not on the cover of the box. And if I spend my life trying to be like Billy Graham, I will miss out on God's plan for me. There can be no model but Christ. God is not working to transform us into any image but that of Jesus Christ. He will not settle for anything less than Christ and neither can we. So our passion in life really does need to be changed. We have to learn to pause at various points in our lives and look for change in ourselves. And right now on January 1st may be a good time for that. If we're to be caught up in the reclamation of our identity, we need to be assured that we are indeed engaged in that process. Change is essential. Morphing is a must. We need to regularly get our Power Ranger on and declare it's morphing time. We should be disappointed, folks. We should be disappointed if no one notices change in us after a while. We as a body of Christ should be alarmed if we do not see growth in each other. 
the people of Egan can't see the image of God shining through the people of Chapel Hill Church, can we really be satisfied with ourselves as a church? I don't think so. We're gonna spend a lot of time this spring looking at how that can be done. How can we put ourselves in places where that light will shine? But for now, during this series, we need to address the question of how we can use every moment of every day to make ourselves available for the transforming work of God to take place in our lives, conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, you'll come across the word transform several times. Um, The word that's used there is the Greek word morpho. Morpho is also translated as conform. This is what it means. Morpho, the inward and real formation of the essential nature of a person. As we've seen, our essential nature is the nature of Jesus Christ. That's who we were created to be like. So God's desire for our lives is to have that nature restored in us. We are to be returned to the essential nature of who we are. Is this process happening in your life? And you see evidence of it, are you moving towards your true identity? Which leads us to the question of what it means to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Is it just a matter of trying to copy the actions of Christ? Is it just a matter of trying to do the right religious things? And we get stuck here when it comes to our New Year's resolutions, don't we? I need to read the Bible more, I need to pray more. I need to get up earlier and have a quiet time every day. I need to journal about something. This is more than just trying to copy Christ. This is more than just trying to behave more religiously. This is about wanting to do the things that Christ did, not just doing those things. It's more about becoming the right person than it is about doing the right things. God will lead you into doing the right things as you are becoming the right person. In the next sermon series, we're gonna talk about discovering what it is that God wants you to do. But first, we have to have a discussion about getting to the point where our actions flow out of the character changes that are taking place in us, not things happening the other way around. We're talking today about our values being changed to reflect, to line up with Christ's values. And what are those values? What makes Christ who he is? Is it that he took a few recorded timeouts to get away and pray? Now we're talking about spiritual disciplines in this series and so there's one thing we can copy, right? We need to pray more. That's what we think of when we hear the word spiritual disciplines. But I wanna redefine this a bit, or a lot. What we're getting at is a character issue, not a behavior issue. And Christ's character is reflected in what he summed up as the two greatest commandments. These are two things that we can't do without a heart that is in the right place. More spiritual activity we can do regardless of our hearts. Love we cannot do. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. That's what's most important. Those were two of Christ's values. Love defines a life that reflects the image of God. We are created to be people that love, people that love God and love other people. We use the term flourish in our mission statement here at Chapel Hill. This is what we're talking about, flourishing with love for God and love for the people around us in our lives. We're talking about producing new growth continuously in the area of loving God and loving others. So we have to be asking ourselves whether or not we love God more now than we did a year ago. 
and whether or not we love the people around us more than we did a year ago. That's how I'm going to evaluate growth in this church and in my own personal life as well. This past weekend, we celebrated the arrival of Christ. He came to give us life to the fullest. He came to demonstrate a life of loving God and loving people. And when that life was done, he laid it down for the sake of further demonstrating that love for both us and his Father. It was the ultimate display of love, and we're going to remember that act in a few minutes when we take communion together. The depth of the character of Christ, the depth of the love that he had, never mind his grace, mercy, forgiveness, strength, all that stuff, that depth really ought to help us see that being transformed into his image is going to take more than just the addition of some good spiritual habits to our lives. It's going to take a work of God in our hearts to change our character into that of Jesus Christ. Only God will be able to replace our desires with the desires of Christ. Only God will be able to replace our minds, our emotions, our responses with those of Christ. So what can we do to make ourselves available to God for this process to take place? What is our part in the transforming work that he wants to accomplish in us? And that's how I'm coming at this series on spiritual disciplines. We provide the opportunities, God does the work. There are things that we can do to connect us to the spirit of Christ where his spirit will become our spirit and we will more and more think and feel and act like Jesus. And that's where I want to see us go. That's my definition of flourishing and my desire for this church and for each one of us as individuals. So let me give you a few quick guidelines to help you come to terms with this spiritual disciplines thing. Let me talk about what spiritual disciplines are not. First of all, spiritual disciplines are not a measure of your spirituality. They are not. The true measure of our spirituality is growth in our ability to love God and to love people. And if you can do this without any spiritual disciplines in your life, by all means, skip them. Think of them this way. The reason you practice free throws is so that you can make them during the game. Your stats as a player are not affected by how many free throws you take in practice. You have to actually get in the game. So it is with spiritual disciplines. They provide opportunities for God to prepare you to reflect him in life. Secondly, spiritual disciplines are not unnecessarily pleasant. With the goal of growing in the character of Christ in mind, these things ought to be enjoyable. Now, if I was training for a marathon, I would hate the training. <laughs> I hate running, I'd hate the training. Keep the goal in mind. I love loving. I love growth. I even love change. So as we get into these disciplines, I'm looking forward to engaging in them now that I know what they're for. Thirdly, spiritual disciplines are not a way for us to earn favor with God. They are for our transformation, and that transformation is for God's glory, not ours. Your pride is gonna have to be dealt with somewhere on this journey. The disciplines you pick up along the way will not cause God to reward you with great gifts. Remember that this is the normal Christian life. Finally, being normal does not earn us a gold star. And what will the end result of these disciplines be in our lives? We will become people who can do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, and with the right spirit. 
We'll become people who can do whatever is called for at any given time. We'll become people who can discern when laughter, gentleness, silence, healing words, or prophetic indignation is called for, and we will offer it promptly, effectively, and lovingly. You want to see that happen in your life? I want to see it happen in mine, and so I invite you to join with me on this mission to become the people that we were created to be in the first place. I invite you to develop in your life disciplines that will give God the opportunity to do his work in you, transforming you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You ever get tired of being part of what seems to be a religion defined by how successful you are at trying hard to do the right thing? And then the right thing doesn't turn out to be very fulfilling. Then let's get our minds off of our need to try harder as we look forward in our lives. We're gonna train, not just try hard. In the training, we will provide God with the opportunities that he desires. In the trying hard, we will just become weary. We will learn to celebrate what he is doing rather than evaluate what we are doing. And so there's your New Year's prep, prep talk for you. Procrastinate and quit trying. <laughs> Go ahead and write those two things down. This year I will procrastinate and quit trying. <laughs> I'm gonna invite the elders to come now and prepare to serve communion and ask Peter to come back up to the stage. Folks, there's a life that Christ came and died to give us. It's a life beyond the ones that we're living today. And it'll always be that way. It's a life that began for us at the foot of the cross where we surrendered to Jesus and his will for us. His body was given. His blood was spilled so that we could enter into that life. It's a life of growth. It's a life of transformation. It's a life of change. It's a life in which we reclaim the identity that he gave us himself when we were created by him. It's a life in which we are constantly moving toward the goal of having our identity redeemed in us. Jesus said that when we do this thing that we call communion, we're to celebrate the fact that he's coming back one day to call us home. And when we get home, we will be completely, fully restored to the spirits that he created us to be. Praise God for his transforming work in our lives as we're being changed into the likeness of his son. And I invite you to come now during this time in celebration, in remembrance, and in thanksgiving, knowing that this redeeming work that's gonna take place in our lives that has been happening and will continue is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Will you pray with me? Father, St. Francis once said um, the words, give up your small ambitions. That's what this morning is about, Lord, is that as we look at our own lives and we try to look at who it is that we're becoming, who we desire to become, that we would not look to any model but Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that's a scary thing because your son put everything on the line to be obedient to you. And that's what it's gonna require of us. 
So Father, I'm asking for courage for every single one of us that we will take these steps, that we will learn what it is over the next month to create opportunities for you to transform us, for you to redeem the identity in us that you have given us every day. That every day we would draw closer and closer to becoming who you created us to be before that was messed up by sin. And I thank you that you have never backed away from that identity for us. That you have never lowered the bar, that you had never given up and said, all right, well, just, uh, I just hope that he does well and does more right things than he does wrong things. But the whole time, that identity, your image has been there. Forgive us, Father, for not turning to you and wanting that to be restored all the time. Forgive us for settling for anything less than Jesus Christ as the standard for our lives. Forgive us for being cowards so often, hearing something about Jesus and going, that was really great that he was like that. I'm glad I don't have to be like that. Give us the courage, Father, to step up and say yes to our identity. To say yes to this process that you've made very, very clear in the scriptures. This process that is to define our lives, the transforming work that you're doing to restore in us the likeness, the image of you and your son. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us to do this work so that we can change from the inside out. Help us this year to lay our very lives at your feet, to lay our character at your feet with great anticipation, knowing that it is possible to live a life of constant morphing, constant transformation towards Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of this identity for creating us in your image. And the promise that as we get closer and closer, as we live out that image and allow you to do that work in us, powerful things are gonna happen. God, in the year ahead, I pray that this would be the desire of every one of our hearts to become more and more like Christ, regardless of what anyone else around us thinks. Make that our number one priority for this year. Help us to learn to do the things that need to be done to provide you with the opportunity to do that transforming work. Thank you that there is joy in the process. Thank you for the thrill of seeing growth in our lives. We ask that you would continue this.